Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing okay. Thanks for coming to church on Labor Day weekend. It's good to see you all. Um, if you've ever been, I got a picture for you guys. If you've ever been to the eye doctor, you have probably seen this. Um, most of us uh, don't know what it's called, but it's actually called a ferropeter, okay? And there it is. Have you seen this before? Right? Uh, this is involved with a retinoscopy, okay? And I had to Google this, okay? I didn't know this before. But um, I just wanted, I wanted, I wanted to, to talk to you about this this morning. I didn't want to say, you know that eye thingy at the doctor that they make the lenses change? I wanted to have at least, you know, so this is called a ferropeter, okay? You've learned something. If you don't leave with anything else today, you will know that that is called a ferropeter. What do they do? They, they dim the lights. They have that eye chart on the back of the, of, of the wall, and the doctor will go through a series of lenses and say, is this better, is this better, is this worse, is this better, right? And then finally, after the fog of all the lenses that don't work, there will be a clear lens. Hopefully, if you have salvageable eyesight, there will be that one lens that comes and it is clear and you can see the chart better than you could beforehand. And I want to give you, uh, as Kevin read, we're going to be in Psalm, Psalm 3 this morning. And as we look at that, I want you to know something. So much of our lives, when we encounter problems and trials and troubles, so much of it has to do with the lens by which we see things. In fact, let me just put it in, in other terms. When we, when we have a big problem, it seems to be all that we can see. And when we have a big problem, our problem seems big and huge, and God seems small. However, in Scripture... When we, when we come to, the, come to the Scripture, we are reminded by God's own revelation that He is big, that He's majestic, that He is powerful, that He is sovereign, that He is in control. And what does that do? When we, when we come to the Scriptures, it changes our lenses, and our problems may still be big, but they are not as big as our God. And so what happens is when we, are, when we are in this place of suffering and trial and difficulty, it seems like our problem and our trial is so huge it consumes our life, right? That's what you talk about. That's what's there in front of you. That's what you think about. That's what you lay awake at night and thinking about. That's, what you, that's, what, that's that sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach. You're having a good day and then you remember your trouble and then it, in your whole day it's just, you got that sinking feeling and all of a sudden it, it, it seeps in and you, have, you were having a good day and now you're having a bad day. But when you come to the scriptures and the word of God, there's a lens change, just like with the ferropeter. And what was blurry and what was taking, taking your sight away from, the, from reality, from the truth, when you come to Scripture, the lens changes. And now you see your problems are not small. Your God's just bigger. And I want to show that in King David's life in Psalm 3. Psalm 3, it starts off now in the Hebrew Bible. The superscription, which is at the top, which says the Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son, that's actually the first verse, okay? So here we go. It says this, that this is a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So that's the background information. That's the life situation in which this Psalm was written out of. Verses one and two continue, and it says this, O Lord, how many are my foes? So a problem is introduced, it's enemies. The second thing we see is many are rising up against me. That's that's two ways. This is called Hebrew parallelism, and you know what that basically means? They say the, they say the same thing two times, and they do that in order to, um, to emphasize their point. You've done this before if you have children, I guarantee you. You said the same thing two different ways, maybe 17 different ways, in the same way to get them to understand what you're talking about, right? 
Well, praise be to God, okay? He understands our mentalities, all right? And so in Hebrew parallelism and this, this, this literary work, it shows us two things. It, it talks about two things in two different ways to help expound it. And so he says, oh, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising up against me. So he has got foes. He's got enemies. He's got problems, right? Two ways to say the same thing. Verse 2 says, many are saying of my soul, these enemies that, I'm talk- that, that David's talking about, they're saying this. They're haters, and they're going to hate. And he says this, there is no salvation for him in God. Now, you also notice this word selah at the bottom. I think it's up there on the screen. Yeah, you see it? Now, we don't know. Here's the good thing. Sometimes we just need to say this. We don't know exactly what this means. Some, some have, have, have translated it to mean um, to think about it, to stop, to slow down. It actually could be because these songs were meant to be sung. It could be a musical notation so that after the first part of this, they might go through like a long musical interlude. So that's kind of, how bad of a song would it be if it just ended with that? God, I got a lot of foes and they're saying there's no salvation. Song's over, right? That's, that sounds like a breakup song or something. That's not good, all right? Like Alanis Morissette wrote that or something. But we stop, we, there's a little pause here because he actually would like us to think about the situation. Whatever that is, whether it's a musical interlude, there is something that is, you're supposed to kind of stop and see. And so I want you to notice, I'm going to put this in background. David the psalmist is having a problem. You can go back and check out this problem in 2 Samuel chapter 15 through 19. And basically is this, his son Absalom, which that's, I'm glad we don't name kids that anymore. And if you're named Absalom today and I've offended you, I'm very sorry, okay? Um, we got Absalom, who is his son, and they've had an, him and David have had a strange relationship. Go back and read the whole thing. It's a family mess, okay? Ever since Bathsheba came in the picture and David sinned with her, his life was a mess. And so this is the remnant. God's forgiven him. We know that. But that doesn't mean you're free from the consequences of sin. You might be free from the guilt of sin, but you're not, free, not necessarily free from the consequences yet. And so here we got this situation where David sinned and his son rises up against him. His son is actually, he's a, the Bible says he's a nice looking guy. He's, he's really smart and he knows how, and people like him. And so basically he tries to rise up against a king, King David, and to take over Jerusalem and to become king. And so what happens to David? He hears this is coming and he gets out of town in Jerusalem and he runs off. Now I want you to know something. This is a political issue but this is also a personal issue with David. You know why? It's not just somebody is rising up against him politically to try to take him. It's his own son. This is family problems. So I want to give you this just to start off here. We have in the room this, even this big, there are so many life situations that you're bringing in here that you're not going to talk, that most people don't know. You might be carrying a pain, a family issue, something at your job. You might be carrying around uh, any type of physical infirmity, a mental infirmity, any type of different thing you could be going on. And there's no way for me as, as, as a pastor to know everything that's going on with every one of you. However, here's the good news. God in his revelation, which is scripture, he, he covers the gamut of human problems. Even in this one psalm, the troubles that David are experiencing are complex and multiplying. For example, 
it's a political issue, so the whole nation's topsy-turvy, and so there's economic ramifications and all this different kind of stuff. People are having to leave their homes and to, uh, who are underneath David's rulership. They, they left their homes. He's got, a, he's got a posse that go out with him, okay? He's got an entourage that leave, and so they leave all their family, all their belongings, and somebody's moving in, so there's all this political turmoil going on in the nation. On top of that, he has experienced this great sadness because his very own son wants to kill him. Can you imagine that family problem? you imagine calling the police on that one, right? Outside, like, hey, he's trying to kill me, okay? That's exactly, we got Jerry Springer type, type problems going on here, okay? Like, are you almost hear in the back somebody going, Murray, Murray, okay? Because this is weird, messed up stuff. There's a ton of family issues that are going on. So why do I bring that up? Because here's the deal, the Bible speaks to you wherever you are. It is living and active. It is the word of God. And so whatever problem and situation you bring, there's truth for that today. And here's the thing. The psalmist here, under the inspiration of the Spirit, and, if we, and we believe, I think rightly, that it's King David. He is looking around and he's saying, look at how many foes I have. Some of the foes are in his own household. A lot of the foes are those, as he was leaving, running away from his son, there were people out there, and you go look this up in 2 Samuel 15 through 19, there were people just straight up ridiculing him. They're just screaming out. They're like, hey, David, <laughs> you're getting what you deserve because I know how you treated Saul. And he's walking around. In fact, the Bible says at one point in 2 Samuel that he's barefoot and he's got ash on his head and he's got his head covered. And this is, this, is a, this is a particular, he's not like Michael Phelps at the Olympics. That's not what he's doing, okay? All right, you know, that mean mug he had, you know, right before he swam. That's not what he's talking about. The, this was a cultural, this was a cultural thing that he would do with the ash and covering his head to show his great shame and his despair. And so he, there's a recognition here that there is a problem. I want you just to be, be clear. The Psalms, one of the reasons why if you get a little New Testament from the Gideons when they hand it out, they include Psalms, Proverbs, and the New Testament. And all the Bible is inspired by God and important and necessary. But there's a reason why if you're just going to read some part of the Bible, if it's your first time going, you go to the Psalms because they speak a heart language to us. It's not just abstract truth. I mean, it is true, but it's truth applied to life situations. And I don't know about you, we've all been where David is. Maybe we haven't been Maybe we haven't been king, and maybe we haven't been exactly there where we've been having to run from a person who was trying to kill us, but we've all been to the place where we have had foes rising up against us, and it seems like our whole entire world is falling apart. Am I right? We've been there, right? No, your life's perfect, right? Everything's great. Sunshine and rainbows every day you wake up, okay? You got soft serve when you wake up in the morning. Oh, ice cream. Perfect, right? That's great. Bacon and eggs are always cooking at your place, all right? No, it's, it's, life is difficult and tough, We've all been there. Thankfully, there's so much good grace out there. But this situation, the psalmist says, how many are my foes? He's overwhelmed by the situation. Then he says, many are rising up against me, and they are saying there is no help, there's no salvation for him and God. He's saying, God's forsaken you. You're a mess. You're way out there. There's no help. And he probably did feel like that for a moment. But then we see the problem, right? Then we have a lens change. And here's where the lens change happens. He sees his problem in light of God. And today, my hope for us as we look at Psalm 3 is that you will see your problems. And they're not small. I'm not here to minimize your problems. 
a lot of times, sometimes it seems like we speak in church, we speak in generalities, and we speak in, in terms of languages that we, we try to, we, we, it's almost fake in the way we talk about our problems. Yeah, God will just take care of them. He will, but that doesn't mean they're not big and that they don't hurt. But then we get, to, we get this, the psalmist, and David was in a bad predicament. He was running from his son, whom he loved dearly, but was estranged from him, and he is on the run. He, people are trying to seek his life. He's being ridiculed. It's a big political mess going on in this nation, and then he sees God. We see in verse 3, God, how many are my foes? Verse 3 says, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. And then it has Selah, so break. So he took a break, thinking about how many his foes are, how much trouble is in his life. There was a break after that, and he meditated upon it. And then there's a lens change, okay? The feropeter, it turned, all right? And so there was a, a lens change, and now he sees his problems are big, but his God is bigger because he says, you, O Lord, are a shield for me. In this time period, that the shield was one of the greatest defensive weapons that they had. Body armor was not necessarily something that had really come into vogue. At this point, there was some of it, but the shield was the chief defensive weapon of those who were in battle at this time. A lot of times, and I don't know if I would want to be going in battle like this, but a lot of times they were wicker, okay? You know, like a wicker chair? Yeah, I don't want to be going into battle with wicker, okay? But they put, this was the best they had, and a lot of times they put leather in front of it, sometimes metal if they could afford it, but it was very difficult. And so they had this shield, and they would go out to battle like that, and there was a longer shield for those who were in the infantry and a shorter shield for those who protected the archers in battle. And so here's the idea, and it is that God is the one who can protect me from danger. He is a shield for me. That does not mean that he won't let calamity come, but that he is there to protect us from ruin. Because has he experienced calamity? Yeah, he is running away right now. But he knows the Lord is a shield, that he will protect us. It's kind of like what Philippians says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and his kindness. And so that's what we have here, that he is supplying these. He is this shield. I want to tell you a story. There is a song that, is, that the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir did on Psalm 3. You can go, and now listen, here's the great thing about this. When you get home today, you can go on YouTube. You've ever heard of this website? It's pretty awesome, okay? You got little videos everywhere. You can go on YouTube and listen, watch the Brooklyn Tabernacle, Tabernacle Choir sing this song. It's kind of, it's really impressive. There's about three or 400 of these folks in this, of all walks of life. They're from Brooklyn, hence the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Uh, <laughs> it's a real, a real creative name, right? So they're singing this song, and this, this song came to my attention because at my last church, um, our worship leader led our choir in singing this song. First time I heard it, I was like, wow, that's, that's amazing. And he's like, yeah, it's just the words of Psalm 3. I was like, yeah, I knew that. I went to Bible college, so sure, okay? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I just, it didn't dawn on me. So I went and listened to this song, and it was right around the time in my life that I was having some real tough issues, and I was going to have to stand up to some, in some really tough situations. And I tell you, I bet you everybody around me, in my office and my house, got tired of hearing that song. And I'm not only one who listens to choral music very often, okay? But I had that stuff cranked, okay? I mean, it was like, it was like, it was like as loud as you would play rock, okay? And it was like, Oh, Lord, our shield for me. I mean, I'm just jamming this thing, all right? 
Sounds much better when they do it, okay? I, I can't tell you how much that meant to just to say that out loud, to proclaim that that is true. And if you look back in your life, if you've been following him for any sort of time, you can know when he's been a shield for you. You may not have seen it in the moment, but you look out afterwards and you're like, oh, yes. You had been protecting me, all about me. And so David, and he is in a military situation too, so he wants you to think about this. He is running. There's soldiers with him. There's soldiers with Absalom. And so he, and he's talking about a shield. There are shields and swords and spears and arrows and weapons present. And he is saying, my God is a shield for me. And then he says, he's my glory. This is the king who had received a lot of glory and praise, and he walked around as a triumphant king. He was a warrior king, but he knows that all goodness that he has, all of the glory that he receives is, is but a reflection of God's glory. He recognizes that God's a shield, and he's the only thing good about him. And so we see here that the foes, the foes, when they come at him, they're coming at God, and God will not let his, his servant be put to shame. And so he trusts in God. He says, God, you're my shield. You're my protector. You're the one who can keep me from complete ruin and a, and a fatal wound, and you're my glory. It's all about you. If anything's good in me, it's you, so you won't let me be put to shame. And then it says this, you are the lifter of my head. When we get to the lifter of my head part. I want you to think about that scene I talked to you about from 2 Samuel. Where he's when the king, who had lived in glory, is now walking barefoot with his head covered. Head down. He, has, he feels defeated. His son hates him. There's family drama. There's political drama. And you have this idea that he is covered in ash and sackcloth and mud and dirt, and his feet are bare, and they're, they're probably worn from walking this, the past he had been. They're covered in dirt. He's got his head covered in shame. And this idea of God just grabbing him by the cheek and just saying, hey, lift your head up. I'm here. God is the lifter of his head. You think about this. You go back to old Charlie Brown cart cartoons, right? I think about it all the time. When he would miss the football, then he would walk away. Dun, 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 dun. You know what I'm talking about? He got that the head down thing. Charlie Brown represents so much of our life. It's amazing how we think we got this opportunity to kick the football. We miss kicking the football, and we walk away with our head down, shoulder shrug, right? Charlie Brown like represents life, folks, okay? The peanuts. I want you to think about that for a minute. This God lifting up his head, the man who had seen glory, but now is in shame. He is the shield. He is the glory. He's the lifter. And all this comes through this. And this is an amazing part. It says in verse 4, it says, I cried aloud to the Lord. It's a pray. It's a prayer. But not all prayers are echoed with the same voice. And then he says this, I cried, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. He understands the goodness and the, the, the nature of God as being the shield, as being the, his glory, as being the one who's the lifter of his head. And he's seeing this, and he's calling out to God, believing this, and asking God to work in his life through prayer, calling out to him. And I want you to know something. We don't think of prayer the way we ought to in so many ways. Because a lot of times, we think of it as something that is overly sanitized and something that's like kind of a religious duty. 
and not something that is a crying out to someone. There's a guy who's the godfather of Christian rock. His, the name, his name is Larry Norman, okay? All right, and if you want to go look him, look him up too, I'm sure you can YouTube him, all right? He, uh, he was around the time of Woodstock, and he came out, and he was the one that kind of pioneered Christian rock and roll music, okay? He's a very interesting guy. And there's a story he tells in which he is witnessing to somebody in a bar. And he starts talking about it. And this guy is a he he is a broken man he's talking to. So Larry is talking to this broken man and he shares with him the gospel. And they're praying, and all of a sudden, this guy starts pounding on the bar and looks up to heaven, and this is the prayer that comes out of this guy's mouth. God, I'm so blanked up. He didn't say blank, okay? I'm just so blanked up. I'm just blanked up. Help me. I'm so blanked up. And they said, Larry looks up, and he's like, I guess he could say that to you, okay? (laughs) Now, I'm not encouraging you to swear in your prayers, but I am encouraging you. I don't think the psalmist was like, thou, O Lord, you are a shield for me, the glory and lifter of my head. Amen. God, many are my foes. We know how we take it, or like we pray when we eat, you know. Uh, good food, good gravy, let's eat, or something, or whatever you would say. That this, It's not what he said. He's, I cried aloud. He, this was a, pre, a prayer of desperation. Of, God, I messed up. This is a messed up situation. you got to be a shield for me. you got to be my deliverer. Just help me. Sometimes that's the best prayer we can get out. It's just, God, I'm a mess. Help. The Psalms are, are honest emotion underneath the lordship of Jesus. Undership the lordship of God. That's what the Psalms are. These are, you, if you find an emotion in here, it's okay for you to have it. And kind of, because sometimes our emotions aren't good, right? You ever get, you know, just get, you get mad about something you know you shouldn't be mad about, and then all of a sudden you see something, and then all of a sudden you get that, like, rage in the back of your neck that starts moving to, your, to the frontal lobe. You know what I'm talking about? You know you can't act on that. Am I the only one? You're like, no, nah, he's the rage problem. He's got a rage problem. No, you've been to that place. I know you have, and you know that emotion's not right, and I can't feel that. I can't drop tick this person, even though I would like to. Not all emotions are, are good, but they, when we can come to the Psalms, we have a language in which to speak to God. We can understand what's right and what's wrong. We can understand how to be honest through the psalmist. And so he comes and he says, I have huge problems, and you are my shield, and I'm going to trust you, so Help right? And so I want you to notice something. Wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, you need a lens change. You need to let your problem be seen in light of who God is. And God is all these things that we've seen. He is the shield. He is our glory. He is the lifter of our head, and he is the hearer of our prayers. And so we don't need to be silent or cautious when we go, but abandoned in how we come to him because he can hear us. And then Selah happens. Musical interlude, maybe a rest. I don't know what it sounded like. Thank God he didn't put musical notes in here because we'd be singing stuff that was like ancient Hebrew music, and I guarantee you that wouldn't make the radio, folks. It would be bad, <laughs> okay? Would not, it would not be fun to listen to that, okay? And so thankfully, we don't have notes. We just got words, okay? We can supply our notes. So there was a break. And then I want you to know something. You ever heard those, one of those drug interaction commercials before? 
come and take this drug. And they're like showing people like eating ice cream and having fun. You know what I'm talking about? You know, like the, you know, like, you know, Celebrex or whatever they have. One of those was, I hope that was not a drug that wasn't good to say. Uh, I just realized that. Like, I don't like him. He just said, okay, Chantix or whatever it is. Okay. I don't even know. I'm just, I'm just spitballing here. But if you notice, like everybody's so happy in the commercial, looked like they're li- li- like living a very healthy lifestyle at that point, okay? You know, they're all playing, you know, tennis together and laughing. <laughs> they're all got dockers on. It's great. All right. And then at the end of it, it's like may cause death and, you know, horrible eye bleeding. And I mean, just, just the worst things that you can kind of see in your life. And so I want you to know something. When trusting in the God of the Bible may cause these side effects. Thankfully, these side effects are not like drug side effects, okay? So I want you to notice something. He says he sees his foes, he sees his problems, but he sees now, the psalmist sees his problems in light of God, who's the shield and deliverer, and now he sees here, here are the side effects and the outflow of having that lens change. And we see it here in the verses four through eight at the end. Actually, I'm sorry, verses five through eight before we get the last say law. And then we get to verse 5, and it says this. Here's the first symptom or side effect of trusting the God of the Bible in light of your big problem. It says this, I lay down and slept. I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. Does that not seem weird? Isn't that weird? I mean, just odd. Go, God, how many are my foes? They're rising up against me. They're saying there's no hope for you, bro. And then we get to this next part, and what does it say? God, you are a shield for me. You're my glory, the lifter of my head. And I cried, and you heard me out of the most holy throne room of heaven. You heard me. And then he goes, and I laid down and took a nap. Isn't that bizarre? A lot of times we read it and just like, ah, okay, that's what it said. That's weird. He says this, I laid down and slept, and I awoke. This is like listening to your kid tell, them, like, tell you about their day. What would you do? Well, I laid down, then I got up, and I played with a toy, and I ate some breakfast. I mean, that's exactly what we got going on here. It's like I laid down, and I slept, and I awoke again. And then he says, for the Lord sustained me. I believe that this is a monumental bomb drop in this passage because it makes very clear that sleep is an expression of our trust in God. Think about all the drugs we have out there to make us sleep. Okay? They can do some weird things to you. Take a couple Ambien, man. You don't know what you're going to be doing. You might wake up in Mexico. You never know. <laughs> all right? You, got, you can buy sleep aids over the counter. They got natural sleep aids. You got narcotic sleep aids. You got the whole whole thing. And it's funny that one of the richest countries in the entire world with so much abundance would have problems sleeping. But we do. It's evident by the things we come up with. We have so many things going on. I want you to see here that the psalmist, he is being, remember, he is being chased by military enemies who have a eye to kill him so that they can take over the country. There's an assassination attempt that is probably in progress. And he says, my foes are many. They're, they're hating on me, saying there's no salvation, but I know my God's a shield. He's a lifter of my head, and I talk to him, and I'm going to be all right. So as the Lord being his protector, 
Like the one standing outside my door, he's like, I got you, David. Go have a nap. Lord's like standing there with his shield like, I got you. And he just goes, like, all right, thanks. And like, no, like he's on a beach somewhere. He just lays down and sleeps and wakes up, and he does all this because the Lord sustained him. I want you to know something. The Bible even speaks to our sleep patterns. And sleep seeing it as a, as a sleep, and you're going to love this, okay? Sleep can be worship. Now, there's a lot of things in the Bible, first off, before I'm going to qualify that, okay? There's a lot of times when sleep's mentioned, even in the Psalms and the Proverbs and other places, sleep is mentioned in bad terms, okay? It's mentioned this. There's some people that need to stop sleeping and get a job, is what the Bible says, okay? Like, do something, all right? That's very clear in the Bible. It's talking about the, oh, you're sleeping your life away. You're a sluggard. Your life is going to be bad because you're lazy, okay? So hear that. There's stuff about that in the Bible, too, all right? in relation to sleep. If you want to go see this, go home, go to BibleGateway.com, go type in sleep and see. There'll be about 77 references of it in the ESV Bible. Okay? And here's what we got. There's some situations in which sleep is talked about as don't be sleeping anymore, but there's some situations for the Lord's people who, who follow him that there's situations in which they should sleep. Psalm 4.8, I got this one for you. In peace, I will both lay down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Do you realize how vulnerable we are when we sleep? We lay there like dead people, like a quarter of our life at least. Some of us a half, depends how much you sleep, all right? We lay like dead people. That's why we have smoke alarms in our house, because of a fire caught. I'm sleeping like nobody's business. I at least need, need, need to have at least something that might try to wake me up if I'm asleep. You think about this. When we are asleep, we are, we are vulnerable to attack. I mean, I know we're not thinking about that, but the home invasion could happen. You'd be out cold, and you wouldn't have anything you do about it. Like, Thanks for putting that one in my wheelhouse, Matt. Appreciate that. Never thought about that. I want you to get this, this idea. We are completely vulnerable when we sleep. And so here's the idea. Psalm 4.8 says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep for you, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. There's a confidence in God that is expressed by the fact that you just rest and sleep. Psalm 121.4 says this, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God does not get tired. The resting he did after he created the world was to show us how to rest. Secondly, it was because he's like, I'm done, and you can't mess with perfection. It's like, boom, I did it. Why do you need to come keep doing more brush strokes, okay? What did he declare about the world when he made it? It's good. It's the seventh day you rested, and it was more like, bam, <laughs> done, okay? Look what I did. And so we have this idea that God, he neither slumbers nor sleeps nor gets tired. So you have around-the-clock personal security. I took a bunch of students to New York on a mission trip. We went to Harlem. We stayed in Spanish Harlem. We went into rough parts of Brooklyn. We went into the meatpacking district of the Bronx. We rode the, the bus till it ended in the Bronx. And it had to start the route again. Well, we were out in some rough areas. And I had one of, um, one of the adult parents who came to me asking about the trip. He said, what are you going to do for protection while you're there? What are you going to do? I said, Jesus, I wasn't being glib. I don't know. What do you, how do you protect yourself in a, in, a, in a city that doesn't allow weapons? And what good is our weapons going to do in this place? 
Do you realize that sometimes we just have things to try to make us feel more safe, but we are not safe unless we rely on the one who is sovereign over everything. And what can you add to your life by doing one more thing? Sometimes you just need, the most godly thing you can do is take a nap. Take a nap in faith. Not a nap to get away from your problems. Like, I'm going to sleep till this goes away. No, 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 no. It's saying, you got this, I'm taking a nap. You got guard. You don't get tired. What a privilege. Yes, we're talking about sleep at church. And I hope you're not right now, okay? Because I hope you sleep later, okay? But here's uh, Psalm 127.2 says this, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. And some of you are like, amen, bro. Eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. I just, just let this sink in, soak in for a second here. You should be about doing your work to the glory of God. But there's a, tan- there's a time when you're like, that's done, put a pen in it, I'm done. Think about the Sabbath day. When, he, when the Lord gave us the Sabbath day in the Old Testament, what are they supposed to do? They were supposed six days you shall, you, what, you shall work, and then one day you should rest, okay? And they did that. Why? It was a, as a sign of worship to God, but it was also a sign that we need rest. It was a sign of dependence. Do you know why? Because a lot of us, especially in America, we think, the more I work, the more I work, the more I work, the more I work, the better I'll be off. And here's the problem. Most of the time, it doesn't work out that way. Sometimes it does, and I'm not a current, I'm not pointing you to slothfulness. Lord knows it exists, and that's sin too. But it's also sin not to trust God and take a break. It will burn you out. It will make your health bad. It will destroy you from the inside out if you do not take a rest in faith. Because in this psalm about all of his foes and all the, think about all the things a king would have to do to stop a coup and to get the military ready. Here's what he does. He doesn't let worry beat him up. He says, God, my foes are many. You are great. My lens has changed. Now I'm going to go to sleep because you sustained me through the night. So here's the thing. Here's the call to go home and take a nap in faith. Tonight, when you get ready to lay down, you got a bunch of problems, say anxiety, no. Say, listen, I'm not going to think about this problem right now. You know why? My God's got this, and I need my eight hours so I can look good tomorrow. And you do it in faith, okay? This is not like, all right, everybody, shut the blinds. Let's go get in a foxhole and just let the whole world go away as we sleep it away. No, that doesn't help anybody. This is in faith. I'm going to get in the bed and go to sleep because God's got this. And then we go on. Not only is this, the, here's what the side effects of, of trusting in the God as a shield is sleep. The other side effect we see in verse 6 is, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves up against me all around. To be quite honest with you, he starts off the, he starts off the psalm looking pretty afraid, right? God, you're a shield. He says basically, look how many are my foes. Oh, God, I'm in a mess. And then he, he ends this here in verse 6, and he says, I have, even though a thousand have come against me, I will not fear. I want you to know something. If you look through the Psalms, the psalmist never finds the complete remedy for fear, but he's always fighting fear. So get this. You will always fight fear. 
And we will lose unless we fight fear with faith in God. We, we have to fight with our trust in him. We have to fight in saying, I know that this, might, this circumstance is bad, and it might be bad for a while, but the Lord, even if he takes me home and I die, has me in his firm grasp. And so how do we do this? We can either be paralyzed by the fear of our enemies and our bad things that happen to our life or our fear of failure or fear of whatever. We can be paralyzed by that things, or we can stand up to it saying, my God is a shield for me. And I can function and move and fight and experience triumph over fear, even though it's going to be a continual process in my life. How? Not by, not by, not by developing thinking techniques in which you can, we can drown out this with positive thinking. No, the way that you do this is by faith. And faith is just trust that God is who he says he is. Just think about this for a second. My son... Praise God, especially at this point, and he's four, he really trusts me. If I give him something to eat, he doesn't ever sniff it and wonder, is this poison, Dad? Did you put a bunch of thumbtacks in here? Did you grind up some, you know, medication in here It's going to hurt me? What does he do? Thanks. Thanks for the apple. Okay? It's peanut butter. It'll be awesome. Thanks. Why does he do that? He trusts. See, I think for some reason, the idea of faith in our culture has been diluted in such a way when you say faith, you're just like, I just hope things work out. I don't have anything to base it on. I just, I'm just really positive. That's not faith. That's just stupidity. Because what leads you to think things are going to work out? Like everybody dies. Like, you know, like, like what physically would make you think everything works out great? Nothing. But faith, which is trust, like the biblical idea of trust, leaning against putting your weight into something, is this idea of though my world is falling apart and I can't see, I believe the promises of God and therefore I can stand against fear in faith, in trust that he's got this. He's got my health in his hands. He's got my family in his hands. He's got this church in his hands. He's got my life in his hands. And yes, I needed to put forth effort, but sometimes I can do, I've done all I can, and all I can do left is worry, and worry is sin. And what I need to do is take a nap, or what I need to do is just keep plugging along in faith, knowing that I'm going to trust him all the way and fight fear. When fear comes up, you say, fear, you're there. But my God is the shield for me the glory and the lifter of my head. And how do we fight fear? It's with the word of God. Jesus, I mean, uh, the psalmist would say in Psalm 119, what do he say? You're, he says, your word is truth, okay? He would also go on and say, your, your, your word is a, light unto, uh, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We have this idea that we, in, the, in the scriptures that, that we fight fear. Fear is going to be there. Fear is not going to ever be absent in our life. We fear a ton of things. We fear things that if we expressed what we were afraid of right now, people would laugh at us because we're like, you're afraid of that? People have legitimate fears of clowns. People have legitimate fears of all sorts of things. Fear exists. And you're not going to stop, but you can fight it through faith. That's what the psalmist does. He just trusts. He says, God, I will not be afraid if many thousands of people you have set themselves against me all around. Verse 7 gives us the final side effect of truth, and we see it here. He says, arise, O Lord. Mount up, God. I need you to stand for me. Save, save, save me, oh my God, 
In my, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be to your people. And basically, finally, he says the side effect of seeing God as the shield and seeing God in light of your problems, seeing God as big and your problems, even though they're big, seeing them in light of God, just this final side effect of trusting him is that you get confidence in God's judgment and salvation. Knowing this, when you come, when you see the God of the Bible, you see whatever comes into your life, for lack of a better, better way to say it, is father-filtered. The wrongs will be made right. Whether that right is those people that hurt you, God paid for their sins on the cross, or they'll pay for it forever in hell, God's going to do right in judging things. He's going to judge what you need rightly and what you don't need rightly. He's going to give and he's going to take away. He is going to give you the salvation you need. He's going to endure it. We talked about that in the book of Jude, that he will keep you. And he will deliver you to his son at the end. He, it, God, God is on this. And so we have this confidence. So here's the thing. So there is a temptation for all of us to become bitter when life deals us a hard hand. It's going to be a fight to not be bitter, just like it's a fight against fear, because the situations that come, come into our lives are difficult and hard, and they hurt us, and there's tears shed, and there's long nights, and there are those times when sleep escapes us, and we try to trust, but it's just difficult. And so what do we do? We have to get to this place in our, in, in our thinking and in our believing and in our trust where we know that everything that comes to us is Father-filtered. And everything that comes to us, he will make things right. Because he just says, he says this, it's kind of like, God, David says, salvation or deliverance belongs to God. You are not in control of what you go through. You can make it worse sometimes, but you're not in control of what you go through. God is. You are not in control when, he'll, when or if he will bring deliverance in this life. But what can be for certain, because he has told us and he has proven himself trustworthy again and again, that he, salvation belongs to him and he will give it to those who trust in him. That is a promise from him and he doesn't go back on his word. Now where are we going to go with all that? Today, this is the challenge for us as we leave this place and we go to Labor Day weekend. In faith, I ask you to make a change in your life. A change in your life that will help change the lens on your ferropeter, if you will. It will change the lens. Because here's the thing. Many of us, we keep doing the same things over and over again, expecting us to grow spiritually, and it doesn't happen. And so we get the same kind of funk. We're always the same kind of rut we've been in. And the same sins and the same things happen to us again and again. We experience trouble or any type of trial in our life. We go through the same, we get stuck in the same rut, and we don't see any hope because of it. And here's the reason why. I believe we put ourselves in a place where we don't ever change our lens. 
And so I want to give you some concrete ideas in which you can change, where you can see your, where your problems can start to, even though they're huge, they can, be, they can be seen as small in comparison to God and by changing the lens. And here's the first one we just kind of mentioned before. Some of you in faith, go take a nap today. Some of you in faith, go rest today. Some of you take your to-do list for tomorrow and say, it'll be there Tuesday, okay? And you just take it and you put a pen in it and say, I'm going to rest. Not rest because you're avoiding it because we all do that sometimes. We're, trying, we're procrastinators because we don't want to actually deal with life. But here's the thing. No, in faith you say, God, you got it. I'm going to take a rest in you. Some of you need to get on your face, and you need to spend an extended time of prayer crying out because you say, my problems haven't changed, but my question, have you talked to him about it? My, the thing, God, it, Matt, you're, you're talking about seeing God differently, and, and I can't. It's just my problems are so big. I said, have you, have you gone to him? Have you gone and talked to him? Second, third thing is this. Have you just, just spent some time in God's word? I mean this and just, most of us are just, we just don't spend as much time in the Bible that we need to. And if we go to it, we're going to it just to kind of like fulfill some religious obligation, get our gold star for Bible reading that day. And we don't run to it as like, I'm in a mess. If his word changes our, our view, and we need that. And so I would just, here's the, here's the real, the concrete is, do not stay the same thinking things will change. You got me? That's like, that's like saying, you know, <laughs> it's like saying, I'm going to lose a couple pounds, but I'm not going to change the way I eat or exercise. It doesn't work, right? Right? I mean, I, I, mean, I know, okay? It doesn't work. But we do that with life. We do that with our spiritual life. Like, I want to get closer to God. What are you going to do to, to enable that? Oh, nothing. Come on, right? But I do the same thing. And so here is the point. In faith, in faith, standing before your trouble, today I challenge you to make a change in faith, to get out of your rut for a second, for the purposes of seeing God more clearly, that you might see your problems through the proper lens. Let us pray. You, O oh Lord, are a shield for me. You're the glory and the lifter of our heads. We cry unto the Lord with our whole heart, believing that you, heal, that you hear us from heaven. And God, we want to lie down and rest and sleep and know you sustained us. We pray that we would triumph over fear through faith. And God, we pray and as we go through whatever we go through that we would walk in confidence saying, Lord, save us. Salvation belongs to you. So whatever we're going through, you're going to save us exactly when you mean to. On this side or the other. Salvation belongs to you and we wait trusting you are good, and your love endures forever. All praise be to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.